Matthew chapter 4. We're only going to cover one verse tonight, verse 17. And we won't even finish it because of how much there is tonight in our study. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to spend all our time in tonight's study dealing with the depth of this, this one verse. Now, some of you, or hopefully all of you, have had handed out to you a wonderful definition of the kingdom of God written by Gene Mims in his book, Thine is the Kingdom. And I'm going to read it out loud for us, for those who are listening online. Gene Mims' definition is, The kingdom of God is the reign of God through Christ in the lives of persons as evidenced by his activity in, through, and around them. The kingdom was prophesied in the Old Testament, pictured in Israel, proclaimed by John the Baptist, inaugurated by Christ during his public ministry on earth, extended in the lives of believers through the church in the present age, and will be consummated by Christ when he returns to earth to rule with his saints. That's a big definition, but that is what we're going to try to talk about tonight, and we won't have time to get into all of it. And there's even an aspect of this about it being pictured in Israel as uh, Israel, a picture of the kingdom. We're not even going to have time to get into that aspect of it tonight. There's too much. Now, before we get started, though, some of you are saying, Jim, you keep saying kingdom of God. Matthew said kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you remember earlier in our study, I showed you, and we're going to take a quick reminder tour, that when Matthew wrote kingdom of heaven, because he was writing to the Jews, he was actually talking about the kingdom of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. Unfortunately, because Matthew called it the kingdom of heaven, now Matthew did it because the audience he was writing to was Jewish, and the Jews did not like anybody mentioning the name of God or writing the name of God. They thought it was too holy to be written down or to be spoken. And so Matthew, in order to not offend his hearers, would call it the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. But I want you to see that when we look at the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And because he used heaven, though, for years people thought that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. It's just when we all get to heaven. And they don't understand that the kingdom of God is a literal kingdom that's going to be on the earth. And we're going to talk about that tonight. But just as a reminder, let me go take you with me back to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, look at verses 30 through 32. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So Jesus says, how can I describe the kingdom of God? And then he used the parable of the mustard seed and how it turns into this great big tree. Go back to Matthew and go to chapter 13 and look at verses 31 and 32. Matthew 13, 31 and 32 Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field, and it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So you can clearly see that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the exact same thing. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. Matthew, not to offend his Jewish hearers, 
It's called it the kingdom of heaven. Okay? You understand? We talk about the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Keep that in mind. Now, when Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, a lot of people don't realize this. He was actually continuing the exact same message that John the Baptist had preached. Go back to Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound familiar? That's word for word what Jesus said. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was continuing the exact same message that John had preached. Now Jesus was preaching it. Now, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was prophesied about and promised in the Old Testament. And we're going to spend some time tonight taking a look at the promises of the coming kingdom of God in the Old Testament. And I can't wait to show it to you. It's pretty cool when you start to see the progressive revelation and how God gave a little bit more information here and a little more information here and a little more information here. And the picture becomes really pretty cool. Can't wait to show that to you. But before I show you how the Old Testament prophesied about the kingdom of God coming, I want to remind you of something. When we talk about the kingdom of God coming, there's a concept sometimes in people's minds that God, his kingdom, isn't, he doesn't have full authority yet, but one day he's going to have full authority. You ever heard people talk like that? Because we know Satan's been given authority in this world for a season, has he not? Is he not the ruler of this world and the prince of the power of the air? So we think that Satan's got authority, but one day Jesus is going to have full authority. Oh, if you think God ever lost his full authority, you don't know who God is. And I want to show you from the scriptures that even though he's allowed Satan to have some dominion. By the way, didn't God give man dominion? When he made them and put them in the garden? Does that mean God didn't have control anymore? Oh, no. I want you to see from the scriptures, God's always been the ruler of the entire universe. It's always been his kingdom. Go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 13. It's a song of praise of David, as we can see. It says, I'll extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. And on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. And they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God's kingdom has always existed. Satan's been given a kingdom for a season on this earth. And then when Jesus showed up, he was announced, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that it was coming on the earth. Jesus showed up and announced it, inaugurated it. But it will, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll go to Psalm 103. I just don't want us to ever think that God has not been king for seasons. He's always been king. Psalm 103, look at verse 19. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Even though Satan's been allowed a kingdom for a season, God's kingdom has always existed, even though it appears it doesn't. Go to Psalm 47, verses 1 through 9. Psalm 47, verses 1 through 9. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of, God of, Abraham, of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God, and he is highly Exalted. One more. Go to Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Yes, sir. Selah? That's a musical term. Because these are songs. The, the, mine has Selah as well, but it's a musical term. So that was, that was a, an annotation, if you will, for the singers. All right. It says Selah. Well, they're reading every word. That's all right. That's good. Go to Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. No, no problem. I'm glad you asked questions. That's how we learn stuff. Of course, if you ask me questions, you might not learn anything. But go to Psalm 24. Go to verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the rivers. As we talk about the coming kingdom of God, don't ever lose sight of the fact that God's been king over the whole universe all the time. But the kingdom is about to be revealed on the earth. And Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, there had to have been an understanding about this kingdom of God for Jesus to say that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And as you're about to see, there was prophecies in the Old Testament about a coming kingdom and a coming king to the earth. There can't be a kingdom without a king. All right. So go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we'll start taking a look at how God's Word prophesied a time coming when a descendant of David would come and set up his eternal kingdom on the earth. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to say that again. God's Word prophesied that a time was coming when a descendant of David would come and set up his eternal kingdom on the earth. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we look at verses 8 through 13. God speaking to David through Nathan, the prophet. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth." And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Has that happened yet? No, it hasn't. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house from my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here David's told, you're going to be a very great man in all the earth. But after you die, after your time's up and you go sleep with your fathers, I'm going to take one of your descendants, someone's coming from your own body, and I'm going to make his kingdom an everlasting kingdom on the earth. Go to Psalm 89. You say, wait a minute, Jim. You said we're looking at prophecies. Why are we going to Psalms? A lot of people don't realize Psalms is not just a songbook, folks. It is full of prophecies. Some of the best prophecies are in the book of Psalms. A lot of the prophecies we've quoted in the New Testament quotes are quoted from the book of Psalms. Psalm 89, look at verses 1 through 4. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Here, they're singing about this promise to David in the book of Psalms. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and look at verses 6 and 7. A very familiar passage, but I want you to see this is progressive revelation. But when I talk about progressive revelation, the best way I can explain it to you is this. Uh, and I'll give you an illustration from God with Abraham. He comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Abraham says, hang on for a second. How can I become a mighty nation? I have no descendants. I haven't had a kid. And God says, I'm gonna, you're going to have so many descendants, you won't be able to even count them. More than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Of course, Abraham thinks, okay. And so he thinks that he's going to go back to Sarah, make a baby. Even though they're old, he runs back and nothing happens. For 25 years, no baby. Actually, during that time period, he gets frustrated and he says to God in Genesis chapter 15, hey, I guess my servant Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir. And God says, no, a son coming from your own body. Another Progressive revelation. You're gonna, and he says, no, it's going to be from your own body. Of course, chapter 16 comes, and Sarah says, well, he didn't say my body. And so they come up with a plan to sleep with Hagar. And then in chapter 17, God says to, I mean, Abraham says to God, oh, that your blessing would come through Ishmael, the one that Hagar made. And God says, no, it's not him. And then we get to chapter 18, and the angels come with God, and they say, this time next year, Sarah is going to give birth to a son. He gives a further picture, further picture, further picture. And that's progressive revelation. And that's why we need the Old Testament. Let me just stop and say something real quick. I'm not going to say his name, but most of you, if I said his name, I think almost everybody in the room would know who I'm talking about. But there is a famous preacher who is nationally known, if not internationally known, who just recently has been quoted, and this is all documented, as saying that we need to unhitch the Christian church from the Old Testament. He's saying that older folks who grew up with the Old Testament can better handle the fact that they work together with the New Testament. But young people today, when you're trying to share the gospel with them, once they start finding about who God is, and then they go back and read the Old Testament, it looks like two different gods. And if we just unhitch the church from the Old Testament, we will be fine. Folks, you don't understand the whole book of the scriptures. And unfortunately, this very, very famous preacher who's got a very, very famous dad 
has been quoted as saying this, and I'm just warning you, be careful. The whole book, as you're about to see, has to be used to really fully understand. You can't understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. And if you leave the Old Testament out, which a lot of people do nowadays, you can't interpret correctly the New Testament. And that's why I want you to see tonight, as we talk about the kingdom of God, the Old Testament has given us so much groundwork so that when Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, they knew what the kingdom was because the Old Testament had laid the foundations. The kingdom was going to be, as you're going to see, on the earth. It was going to be centered in Israel. And there was going to be a king that was coming, and he was going to be a descendant of David, and his kingdom was going to last forever. That's what we've learned so far. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we get more progressive revelation. We find out a little bit more about this coming kingdom and this coming king. Look at what it says. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. What's that next part? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we get some more information. Not only is he going to be a descendant of David, he's also going to be God. He's going to be called the everlasting father, almighty God. And his kingdom will never end. Go to Micah chapter 5. Again, a passage we all love to look at at Christmas time because it tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and look closely at what it says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Progressive revelation. We get some more information now. This one that's going to be the king who's going to sit on David's throne, who's going to be a descendant of David, who's also going to be God, is going to be born where? In Bethlehem. And his coming is of old, from old, of ancient days. Again, a hint to the fact that he's always existed. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Look at verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. In other words, he saw this guy that looked like a human. And he came to the ancient of days, and that's God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So here again we see more. There's this kingdom coming on the earth. And it's going to be ruled by this one who's going to be a descendant of David, who's also going to be God, who's going to be born in Bethlehem, and his kingdom will never end. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You know this promised kingdom? 
It's about to show up. The kingdom is being offered. John the Baptist has already said that. As he prepared the way for the Lord, as he made ready the path, he would preach and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is about to show up. This promised kingdom that's been prophesied about, it's about to be revealed. You better be ready. By the way, did you not know, and I hope you all do, the New Testament confirms that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament. This son of David, this coming king. Go back in our study to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It's not an accident that Matthew started his book this way. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, who? The son of David, also the son of Abraham. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, angel speaking to Mary, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. By the way, if you only read the New Testament, you'll sound, it sounds like this is the first time that it's being told, oh, this, this is going to be a baby in you, and it's going to be God, and he's going to raid over the house of David the, and have the throne of David, and he's going to have a kingdom forever and ever. But if you never read the Old Testament, you wouldn't have understood. All of that had already been spoken. Do you see it? It had already been said in the Old Testament, word for word. The angel just came and repeated the prophecies. The angel didn't come and announce something new. The angel came and said what the prophecies had always said. Mary, that baby inside of you that you know didn't happen from a man, it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. That baby is the king. That baby is the one that was prophesied. Go to Acts chapter 13. As you know, the Jews had a hard time really accepting this because it wasn't what they were expecting. Acts chapter 13, look at verses 22 through 25. Acts 13, verse 22 says, And when he had removed him, as he removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. So here's the sermons being preached. He says, Look, remember the promise to David? It was fulfilled with Jesus. He's the one. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, look at verses 22 through 36. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and he starts preaching. By the way, Peter hadn't been sitting up Saturday night working on his sermon. What God did through him on that day was the Holy Spirit taking over. And listen to what God says through Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you, you yourselves know. 
This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, his body went in the tomb, stayed there and rotted. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of all that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here we see Peter preaching and he says, Guys, look closely. When David wrote in the Psalms, You won't let your Holy One see decay and you won't abandon my soul to Hades, he was prophesying that the promised one was going to die but not stay in the tomb and his body wouldn't decay. And you've all heard and seen and witnessed that Jesus was crucified according to the plan of God, but he's risen from the dead. And it wasn't talking about David because David's still rotten, his bones are still rotten. Jesus is the one that's and this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He's the descendant of David, the coming king. Now, you may have noticed that both Jesus and John the Baptist, though, start their message about the kingdom of God with a certain word. What is it? Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. What was, how did they start? They both preached the exact same message. They both started their message about the kingdom of God, announcing the kingdom of God with one word, with repent. Now, don't miss this. This is important. As you're about to see, the only way you can enter into this kingdom, and it's been that way all along, the only way you can enter into the kingdom of God is through repentance and forgiveness of your sins. That's the only way. And we're going to talk about some passages now that a lot of people that don't believe in a literal coming kingdom have used as their proof that the kingdom is not a coming kingdom and it's not a literal kingdom. And I'm going to show you that in context, actually those verses that they love to use that prove that there is no coming kingdom actually prove what we're talking about. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Matthew chapter, uh, sorry, let's go to John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3. No, I'm sorry. Let's go to Luke. Let's go to Luke 3 first. I'm sorry. I'm jumping around in my notes here. Go to Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. In order to be included and be a part of this kingdom to come, people would need to repent of their sins. 
Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Idaria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanus, Lysanius, the tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, before I go any further, folks, that's one of the greatest proofs to you right there that the word of God is real. Because if you were going to write a book, that you made up, you would not put anything like that that could be fact-checked. You know, we're living in a day of fake news and fact-checking. Maybe a politician will make a, a speech, and then all of a sudden everybody does all their fact-checking. You can fact-check every bit of that and realize those were all real people. Those were all the same time. This is, can be proved. If you were going to make a book up and make up a story that wasn't true, you wouldn't put something like that in there. But during that time... The word of the God came to John the Baptist in the wilderness, the son of Zechariah, and he went into the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism for, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Don't miss that. That's going to be important later on in our study. All right. So again, as he preached about the kingdom of God, he said, you need to repent and you need to have a baptism of repentance for remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. Go to John chapter three. Now, here's Jesus having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And look closely at what Jesus says to him in John chapter three, verses one through uh, 15. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. By the way, I love how Nicodemus tipped the Pharisees' hand. You know, the Pharisees were saying, he's not from God. He's casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub, and he's got a demon. And how publicly, the Pharisees were saying that this, is not from, this guy's not from God. Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, hey, um, we know you're from God. We know you're from God. No one could do what you do unless God were with them. By the way, for those who have their eyes open and don't respond appropriately, the Bible says the judgment's pretty harsh. Actually, the Bible says everybody's without excuse. And they're going to be judged by how much light they've received. So he says, we know you're from God, for no one can do the signs he do unless God's with you. Jesus answers him and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and hear and witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you of earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus comes and tells Nicodemus, you want to get into the kingdom of God? You got to be born again. You can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. He says, I don't understand. Like, go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? He goes, no, that was born in the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So listen, Jesus was teaching that in order to enter into the kingdom, you had to enter spiritually. It's not a physical entering. Although it's going to be a physical kingdom, you enter it spiritually. Go to Luke chapter 17. This is that famous passage that a lot of people love to quote and say, this is proof that the kingdom of God's not coming to the earth. It's just spiritual. Now listen closely. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or within you is a good translation as well. So he said, to, they said, you know, the Pharisees said, when's the kingdom of God coming? Okay, king, you're announcing that the kingdom's here and the kingdom's at hand. That means you're going to call yourself the king. Where's this kingdom? And Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of God is not entered into by saying, oh, here it comes, and I'm just going to jump in the conga line. It's entered into spiritually. To get into the kingdom. In other words, the Jews thought that whenever the king comes, they're Jews. And so when he comes and sets up his kingdom, we just get to be a part of it. Jesus says, no, that's not how, that's not how the kingdom works. You don't just all of a sudden see the kingdom coming and say, here it is. No, it's a spiritual entry. Just like he was telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. Go to John chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 13. All of a sudden, all these passages we've been looking at are going to come together in John's gospel here. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John... We know him as John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people, that's the Jews, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Oh, do you mean that when Jesus in John chapter 3 said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, what's born of the flesh is flesh, what's born of the spirit is spirit? That wasn't the first time that anybody's heard that. If you read the gospel of John, it already had been announced and laid the foundation in John's gospel. And what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Son of man, when he's lifted up. He'll draw all men to himself. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You want to be a part of the kingdom? You've got to repent. And you've got to seek the forgiveness of your sins. And you do that by putting your faith in the promised king. You want to be in the kingdom? You don't just hope you're alive at the time the kingdom shows up, Jews, and all you do is just say, hey, the kingdom's here. We're in the kingdom now. It's not, it's not entered into that way. It's not like, look, look, here it is. It's within you. 
Now, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be a literal kingdom, as you're going to see. We won't have time tonight to get into it, because I'm going to end on right before that. When we come back together in a couple weeks, I'm going to show you scripturally how the Old Testament prophesied that the kingdom would also be a very, very real literal kingdom on the earth. But Jesus came to the Jews first. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Do you see it? how it said that there? This is a hard thing for some people to grasp, but the kingdom was offered to the nation of Israel first. But don't think for a second that God was giving it to the Jews, and if they had accepted it, the Gentiles would have never been to have an opportunity to be a part of it. We're going to deal with that. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, look at verses 5 through 15. These 12... The apostles, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, and if it's worthy, stay there until you depart. And as he goes on, look at what he says. He says, I'm sending you out now to go announce this, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And as you go, I don't want you to go to any Gentile house. I don't want you to even go to towns of the Samaritans. I want you only to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, as a quick little aside, look at how he says, he says, oh, and when you go out, don't worry about how you're going to be paid. I'm just going to tell you, this is one of the reasons why just a preacher doesn't charge for anything. I don't ever say to a place, I'll only come speak if you can promise that you'll cover this or cover that. If you give me nothing, I'll come. I never want to say to anybody, you can't hear God's word unless you have enough money. That's why if you want one of my books, we give them away and we'll even pay for the shipping and handling. Because I really believe that we are to just give the word of God away free. The Bible says that. We're to just give it away free. And I've learned that when you do what he says and just trust him, God provides even more. How many ministries nowadays will say it this way? We'll send you this material if you'll make a donation. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you don't make a donation, we'll send it to you. And let me give you an example of how awesome God is. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was at my home church. A man runs up to me and says, Jim, I need another book. I said, no problem. Give me, send me an email. Send me an address and uh, we'll mail you a book. He goes, well, what about the money? I was like, we don't charge. He goes, well, I'm willing to pay five bucks for the book. I was like, I don't care. Whether you pay five bucks or not, I don't care. We're going to just mail you the book. Just send me an email. So we, he sends an email, gives us, gives us his address. I throw two books in. I don't know. He might want to give it to somebody. Two days later, through PayPal, he sends $100 as a thank you for the book. When we didn't worry about it, God says, Look, you trusted me, watch what I do. But too many of our churches are sitting around trying to figure out how we can make sure we're taking care of ourselves. How can, why don't we just go do what God tells you to do and share it like you've got a God that will take care of you and watch how he won't open the windows of heaven as he's promised. But it's sad that too many ministries are nowadays trying to figure out how they can cover costs. Jesus said, don't do that when you go out. But he also told them, don't go to the Gentiles. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 16 and 17. 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. By the way, does anybody know where that was written, where the righteous shall live by faith? You don't have to give me the exact address. I'm going to just ask you, was it Old Testament or New Testament? It was Old Testament. Again, you can't understand the New Testament unless you know the Old Testament, because the New Testament is just tying back to prophecies and promises in the Old Testament. But again... Why did God send the message to the Jew first and then the Gentile? Oh, as you're about to see, all along it's been to the Gentile. But God did announce the kingdom to the Jews first. But the kingdom had been announced for many, many years. Remember when Jesus went into his hometown of Nazareth and he preached? And then he said, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm the king. And they said, do some of the works we heard you did in Capernaum. Physician, heal yourself. Do, do something that we can see. And Jesus then says, let me tell you something. Back in the time of Elijah, when there was a famine and a drought, there were a lot of widows in Israel. And God sent Elijah to a Gentile widow. Oh, and you know, in the time of Naaman, the leper who was healed, there were a lot of lepers in Israel. But God only healed a Gentile, Naaman. They got so mad. They threw him up, to, took him up to the hill to throw him off, and he just walked away from their midst. But Jesus said, look, God's been reaching out to the Gentiles all along, too. Actually, go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. God's word all along had promised that the kingdom was available to all people. It's available for all who believe. It was announced to the Jews first because they got the word of God and the revelation of God and they have the law and his word and the, the miracles that they got to see. But it has always been for all the people. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Look at verses 3 through 5. Here we go. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and what? All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The prophecy clearly said that it was to be for all people. Always. Always has been for all people. You can write this down and look at it later on if you want. But Luke 3, 1 through 6, the passage we've already read about John the Baptist, he quotes from this passage and again says, all flesh is going to see the kingdom. Go to Luke chapter 13. Go ahead. Yeah, all prophecy points to Jesus. The testament, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, the, 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 the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It all points to Jesus. Look, th look at Luke 13, verses 22 through 30. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. 
For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he'll answer you, I don't know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Behold, some of the last will be first and the first will be last. In other words, you Jews still think that when the king shows up that you're just going to enter the kingdom. It's never been that way. And, oh, by the way, only those who enter it by faith in the king, only those who understand their lostness, repent of their sin, seek the forgiveness of God, all the prophecies that have been pointing to this coming king. By the way, we don't have time tonight to deal with the fact that there were a lot of prophecies that talked to this coming servant, the one that was prophesied, the descendant of David, was going to be killed. He was going to take the sins of the world on himself and be beaten for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And, and God was going to lay our sin on him and he was going to rise from the dead. Even though he died, he was going to be prolonged and see his days and his descendants. And he won't let his body be decaying in hell and leave his, whole, his body to, or his soul to Sheol. All along, the prophecy said this coming king had to die. Please don't miss this. When Jesus came and announced the kingdom is here, he was offering them the kingdom. It could have begun right then, but Jesus would have still had to die or else the kingdom couldn't begin. You see, many people think that if the Jews had just said, you are the king, we believe you're the promised Messiah, you're the one, and they said, we all believe, the kingdom still wouldn't have happened because the only way the kingdom would have begun as if they had said, we believe you're the promised one, we believe you're the Messiah, and um, would you please go to the cross for us? You see, listen, if Jesus just showed up and never died for their sins, and the kingdom began, and he got rid of the Romans and set up the kingdom, what would have happened to everybody? They all would have died, because they still would have been in their sins. The soul that sins dies. What would happen to us? We've been doomed. You see, the kingdom was offered and could have begun, but he still would have had to go to the cross. They would have had to understand that aspect of it. It was offered to the Jews, but they rejected. And he says, okay, we're going to send it out. We're going to send it out and offer it to the whole world. It's been that way all along. Go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now, I'm about to share with something. I know we're near the end, and I've given you a ton of scriptures. I'm going to ask you to finish strong, because I'm about to share with you something very important. In Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, remember Peter's had the experience in chapter 10, where he has the sheet, and God tells him, don't call unclean what I've called clean, and he sends him to the Gentile house, and the Gentile Cornelius and his family all get saved. In Acts chapter 11, he's defending himself. It says, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, 
And in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being lit down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again to heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And told, he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Remember in Acts 2. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them, these Gentiles, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. See, the Jews still didn't grasp it. They thought, again, the kingdom was just for the Jews and the kingdom was just to be for them, even though the prophecy said that all flesh would see the salvation of God and that all the nations, remember in Daniel chapter 7, he was given, a, he went to the ancient of days, the son of, when looked like the son of man, went to the ancient of days and he was given a kingdom that all nations, people and tribes would serve, would serve him and worship him. The prophecies that all along said that it was for everybody, but the Jews didn't hear that. They thought it was just for them. And so even now that the kingdom they understood was a spiritual kingdom, that it was going to still be a literal kingdom, which we'll deal with next time we get together. The Jews thought that the Gentiles weren't to be included in it. And God had to teach the New Testament believers, no, the Gentiles all along have been included. It's been offered to them all along. Now, here's the thing I want to talk about, though. There's something in here, and it's going to be even more clear in chapter 15 that we need to understand will help us understand that what Peter shares is from God. And that's because what happened in his experience lined up with what God said. You see, this could be very dangerous. Do you imagine someone coming now and saying, I know it's not in the Bible, but I had this amazing experience from God. And God came and spoke to me and this amazing spiritual stuff happened. I know it's not in the Bible. But God did this really amazing thing, and it's real. He's showing something new. By the way, there are lots of people out there preaching that right now. Remember Paul said, if I or anyone, even an angel from heaven, come and proclaim anything different from what's in here, let him be accursed. But in this situation, if Peter hadn't said one thing, and then again, what happens in chapter 15, we could have reason to say, Peter, just because an amazing spiritual thing happened. Remember, Satan can also masquerade as angel of light. You know, when the Antichrist shows up, the Antichrist, the Antichrist has been on the earth, all the, the whole spirit of Antichrist has been on earth all along. But when the, capital A Antichrist, if you will, shows up, he's going to be able to perform miracles and wonders that will deceive even the elect if that were possible. But Peter says... It wasn't just the experience that happened. It lined up with what Jesus said. Go to Acts chapter 15. 
as the leaders and the elders were wrestling with this whole topic of the Gentiles being saved and whether or not they need to be circumcised, the elders all got together about this matter. Go to chapter 15, verse 5. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we've been able to bear? But we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related with signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's another name for Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I'll return and I'll rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins and restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. In other words, okay, yes, you guys have shared about these wonderful, amazing experiences and the signs and the wonders that God has done and how the Spirit told you to do something. It matches up with the Word of God, therefore that's why we accept it. Do you understand? Beware of anybody out there today that is teaching some phenomenon. Oh, the Holy Spirit's coming down over here. You got to get there. And then things are happening that don't match up with the word of God. Run away from it. If it doesn't match up with the book and it appears new and fresh and crazy and people say, God, God gave me the words. God told me. God spoke this to me. Be careful. You got to know what the scripture says because there's going to be doctrines taught by demons. But the fact that the Gentiles would be included in this kingdom had been prophesied all along. Yes, I'm sorry? That's part of it as well. That was written back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. Way back then, God said that he was going to do that. He offered it to the Jews first. Why? They had a lot more light, a lot more information. Had it been offered to the Gentiles all along? Yes. But when it was inaugurated by Jesus, he came to his own people first because they had had the more information about it. And he said, it's here. Let's get going. And their job was to spread it to the whole world. Of course, they didn't. They said, it's really about us. What we're going to do when we get back in two weeks is we're going to deal with the fact, and there's so many more prophecies I want to show you, that the Old Testament also showed, though, that this coming kingdom, even though it only can be entered into spiritually, is going to be a literal kingdom on the earth. And you need to understand that because we live in a day in which most of Christianity doesn't believe in a literal kingdom on the earth. Most of Christianity, a large percentage of Christians today, don't believe. They're amillennial, if you will. They don't believe that the actual kingdom is going to be on the earth. And I'm going to show you from Scripture, it has to be. And I'll show you those prophecies when we get back together next time. Until then, I love you. See you then.